It is wonderful to be here with each and every one of you. We have a wonderful crowd here, and we appreciate your presence so very much. As we've assembled on this day, the most important day we have in our week, and that is the Lord's Day, to assemble as a few of God's children and worship God in spirit and in truth. As always is the case, I do consider it to be an honor to be able to stand before you and proclaim things that are found in the Word of God. And I hope and pray that what we have to consider for a little while this morning would be both edifying and encouraging to you in some way. Now, the reason for the sermon and the reason for the title. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon on abounding in the work of the Lord. I talked about ways that we can do that. Ways that we as the body of Christ, both individually and collectively, can abound in the word of God and, and, and in the cause of Christ and in, in, in all that we do in our life. And one of the things that I mentioned is, I mentioned this passage found in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19 where Paul said, My little children from whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And I referenced this passage of scripture and later on, right afterwards, I was asked the question a couple of times, and it was a very good question. The question was, well, how do you know if Christ is formed in you, and what does it actually mean for Jesus Christ to be formed in you? That's very significant, too. What did the Apostle Paul say? Well, first of all, when he says, my little children from whom I labor in birth, he's talking about something that perhaps is very unpleasant or something that is difficult. Now, when Paul uses the word again, the second time here he is saying, I'm laboring among you again as a woman that travails in birth for a second time. Now, the first time, obviously, is back when they were converted and Paul labored to convert them. But now he's talking to members of the church. He's talking to Christians and he said... I am still laboring in birth another time, and there's a time frame until Christ is formed in you. Well, there's a couple of things about this, I think, that are very encouraging. Number one, by the language of the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's some very encouraging words here. This shows me that God gives an allowance or a time period, or God permits time to grow. In other words, somebody doesn't just obey the gospel. They come from the watery grave of, of, of baptism. And here's the list right here. Here's what you got to do right here. And there are things that are of the meat of the word that a person needs to grow in over a period of time that they'll get to later on. So one of the very encouraging things that I find about this passage is Paul is actually saying there is a time for growth. Now, there's more though. Paul also shows the importance of growing because he says that I labor in birth again until the point in time that Jesus Christ is formed in them. So what we see is this, and it might sound like these are terms that are at odds with one another, but they're really not. You see the patience of God, the patience on God's part, and you see the urgency on our part. It is urgent that we grow. It is urgent that we do that. What does the Bible say? Well, first of all, it's commanded by God that we grow. We're going to get to all these points in just a minute. And it obviously requires diligent effort on our part. Now, 
I'm going to talk about what it means for Christ to be formed in you in just a few minutes. But let me give you some examples of a person, perhaps, where Jesus Christ is not formed in them. If a person is carnally minded, which is the opposite of being spiritually minded, and they are driven by the things of the flesh, they're carnally minded. That person may be a member of the church, but Jesus Christ is not formed in them. If a person is led by worldliness and all the things that are in the world and not by spiritual things, then that person in demonstrating worldliness, Jesus Christ is not formed in them. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. Please hear me. I thought about this all week long. If Jesus Christ is formed in you, you will be willing and able and you will have the courage to be different. I'm going to tell you, when the Bible talks about being a peculiar people, it doesn't mean that the Word of God is teaching us that we're a bunch of weirdos. That's not what that means. And it doesn't mean we're odd. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we're different. We are separate. If we can't separate the world from our life, and we can't do that, and we're led by the dictates of the world in our life, then Christ is not formed in us. We have some work to do. Here's another one. If Christianity hasn't changed you, if you're no different, and it hasn't changed you, and it doesn't change your life and change who you are, then Jesus Christ is not formed in you. We're so blessed, though, because we find that when God commands us that we must grow, God's going to help us. Let me talk about some things that sometimes hinder spiritual growth. One of the things that, that hinders spiritual growth is a low self-esteem. Now, when I say that, remember this. The Bible does say that we're not to think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. We know that. We can't be filled with conceit. We can't be puffed up. And we can't say, you know what? I think this of myself and think higher of us than we ought to think. Okay? And I know the, wor the world says you got to think of number one. you got to put yourself above all that. I, I get that. I know that. That's not what we're saying. But I do think that spiritual growth is oftentimes hindered by a low self-esteem. I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone to someone and encouraged them to grow, encouraged them to lead songs perhaps, or maybe try to work to get in a lesson together or whatever it is. In other words, just growing in Christ and doing more. I can't tell you the number of times in my life of 42 years being a member of the church, how many times I heard, well, not me. I, I, I could never do that. I could never do that. Uh, there's no way I could do that. And sometimes a low self-esteem stands in the way of spiritual growth. I'm going to make a statement here. I'm going to make a statement here. I'm going to use Chris because I think Chris won't mind. I love Chris, and I appreciate so much uh, what, the growth that Chris has made and others, too, in the congregation. But I'm going to use Chris because something happened years ago. Okay? I remember I talked to Chris Years ago, and I said, Chris, man, it'd be great if you start teaching. You know what he said? He said, it is outside of my comfort zone. And really, as I paraphrase, he, he basically said, it scares me to death, the thought of doing that. Okay? Outside of his comfort zone. Chris is teaching now. He told me, he said, I am now stepping outside of my comfort zone. You see the point? Sometimes our low self-esteem can keep us from growing in Christ and being the person we should be. 
It takes courage to do that. And that's exactly what he had to do. He had to muster the courage. And he's teaching them. And that goes for all of us. Okay? So a low self-esteem sometimes hinders growth. But number two, sometimes it's not just a low self-esteem. Sometimes it's just an excuse. In other words, you say, well, I really couldn't do that. Or that's really not my cup of tea. Or that's not what I'm really comfortable with. And use that as an excuse not to grow. I think that happens too. But God does give us capabilities to be used for the cause of Christ. Now, when God commands us to grow, remember this. We need to have faith that we can grow. God will never command us or expect us to do something we cannot do. And that begins, that begins by having goals and working toward them. Now, I've got to talk about goals for just a minute as we, we're really still in our introduction here. When I talk about goals, we're talking about how important goals are. Goals are just dreams until they're written down. Let me give you an example of how important it is to write things down as a goal and work toward those things and having uh, objectives to achieve the goals. Years ago, Emmett Smith was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. He had a list of goals the very first day that he was drafted into the NFL. And really, when he showed those list of goals to other players, they kind of had raised eyebrows, like, are you serious? There's pretty high expectations of you. He said, I want to be the NFL's all-time leading rusher. I want to run for more yards than anybody in the history of the game. He did it. I want to be a Super Bowl champion three times. I want to be a Super Bowl MVP. He did it. I want to be in the Hall of Fame he did it. My point is, in every single walk of life, whether it's sports or business or even in the church, we have to have specific goals and write them down or we will be in the same place where we've always been for the last 15 years. You can't do what you've always done and not expect to get what you've always got. If we're going to make changes, if we're going to do things better in our own life, we have to change what we do. So, we must have goals and ways of attaining them, and I've broken these goals down into three categories. Three categories. Number one, behavioral goals. Number two, functional goals. And finally, number three, congregational goals. Well, first of all, the ultimate goal is to be like Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is formed in us, we're going to be more like him. And before I get into the specifics of this, just bear with me through some foundational passages. Okay, Jesus talked about being a disciple. And he talked about the relationship and the expectations of being a disciple. And he did so in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. The teacher is Jesus. We are the disciple. Now, what does Jesus want for your life? You hear that a lot, don't you, in the world? What does God want for my life? What does Jesus want for your life? I'll tell you what Jesus wants for your life. He wants this right here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is from the New King James. It's what Jesus wants for your life. What about God? What does God want? 
In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. I want to make a really quick point about words like predestined and words like foreknew and a predetermination and all of that. Okay? Elect. All the words that are twisted out of context in the religious world. This is really simple. What do we know about Jesus Christ in the mind of God? We know this, that it was foreordained and predetermined before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be God's lamb and die for the sins of the world. God foreknew that. That always existed all the way back to the foundation of the world before that. He also, secondly, we find, he predetermined the class of person that was going to be saved. That's an obedient Christian. What else? God foreknew and predestined, do you see this, that we disciples are going to be conformed to the image of his son. Have you ever heard people say in the religious world, just come as you are? Yes, we believe in coming as you are. Yeah, that's true. But we believe in change. We believe in being conformed. Not just a matter of, I get to stay in the same state that I'm in and be the same guy I've always been, but I get, I get to have salvation. I get to have Jesus. No, it was foreordained and predestined before time that the disciple would be conformed to the image of his son. But there's more. Then in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see the point? Not only are we to be conformed to the image of His Son, but we're going to be transformed also. There's another one, too. I love this one. Everybody likes this. Being renewed. Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. What have we just noticed? We don't notice we've been, we need to be conformed. We need to be transformed. And we need to be renewed. And all of these things, all of these things are requirements of us. So, an essential element of spiritual growth is to become more like Christ by renewing our behavior to conform to the example of Jesus Christ. And this uh, involves growing in knowledge. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Now, when I say knowledge here, get this, I'm not just talking about academic knowledge. I got to tell you something. I learned a little something this week. I learned a little something. It's not just academic knowledge. It says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about not just academic knowledge, but personal knowledge through character development. Have you ever stopped to consider that? Have you ever stopped to consider that you, by character development, actually get to know Jesus even more? Stay with me on this. How do I know that? Well, in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, 
We're going to talk about these things in just a minute. But I'm talking about knowledge through character development. Now, in this passage, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. What am I talking about? Well, first of all, I have, let me say this, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Your Christianity has to be more than the formalism of checking boxes, obeying rules, and looking the part. If that's all your Christianity is, that's not good enough. How do I know that? How do I know that the Lord does not want us to just check boxes, obey rules, and look the part and require nothing else from us? How do I know that? Because when Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia, in, in with regards to the church at Ephesus, do you remember what he said? There wasn't one thing that he wrote down that they, they were doing doctrinally that wasn't right. Nothing. They were doing all of those doctrinal things. They were serving God exactly how the word of God says that they would serve God. But Jesus says, nope, not good enough. He said, you've lost your first love. You have lost your first love. What is your first love? You have lost what's really the motive behind it. You've lost your love for the Lord. What did Jesus say about that? He said, you have to repent and go back and do your first works, or I will come unto you and remove your candlestick, your identity. That tells me that the motive behind it has to be my love for the Lord. I have to have a love for the Lord. That has to be the difference in my life. This is when Christianity becomes personal. Remember that song we used to sing, He is Real? Remember that song? And he lives in my heart. Is that your Christianity? Or are you just checking boxes? Punching time clocks? Or is Jesus changing your life? I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus is not changing your life, you're not serving God as you should, and Christ is not formed in you. Christianity has to be more than that. You know, we talk about worship, and we talk about the specific items of worship, and yes, we need to do that. Because there's two things in John chapter 4 that Jesus dealt with when he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? You have to have both. The spirit deals with the attitude behind it. The truth is that which is according to revealed truth. Now... It is true that when we assemble as the body of Christ in worship, we have to sing without instruments of music. That's true. We have to pray to God, and one man speaks at a time in the assembly, according to the word of God. We must have one loaf and one cup on this table. That's true. We must give of our means when we do that. We must do those things, the five items of worship. Yes, that's true, and yes, we need to preach that and teach that and all of that. Okay? But sometimes we spend all our time talking about that, how we worship, and we don't spend any time talking about why. Why? Why do we worship? Why is God worthy to be worshipped? Let's not neglect talking about who we are when all we do is talk about what we should do. It's both. And please, again, I'm going to reiterate something. Do not leave here saying that I, I think that it's not important to talk about the items of worship. I didn't say that. I hope you didn't get that point. What I'm saying is we got more to do than that. we got to talk about why we worship, not just how, but why. 
But why? Notice these passages here in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. I love this. Remember what I said. You can have a knowledge of God. You can have a knowledge of Jesus Christ by character development. Let's notice what they are. Here's the list. So as you come from the waters of baptism, add to your faith. This is what he said. Peter said, you have to add virtue. Now, the word virtue, the Greek word there, actually is a word that is not very common in the Bible. But it is extremely common in secular Greek. In fact, in its origins, the Greek word in its oranges, origins in classical Greek literally meant to do that which was outstanding or even someone that, per that performs a heroic deed. What's it mean specifically in this passage? It means we have to add moral excellence. That's the quality of your life. you got to change your life. Somebody gets baptized for the remission of sins, what's required? Change your life immediately. You start applying moral excellence to your spiritual life. Then what else? You know what it's going to do? It has to be based on something. And by the way, have you ever heard somebody say, that you can't know absolute knowledge. That there is no such thing as absolute truth. And because of that, this guy over here, he interprets truth his way. And this guy over here interprets truth his way. Because there's no such thing as absolute truth. I want you to notice what Peter said in this passage. Add to your faith moral excellence that is based on what? It is based on knowledge. That word means correct insight. That means proper knowledge that is based on the following. It is based on proper comprehension. So it's knowledge that's properly comprehended, properly understood, and properly applied. That's what the word means. You know what that tells me? That tells me I can have a knowledge of what God wants me to do. I can have a knowledge of the word of God. I need to add moral excellence based on proper insight or proper knowledge. You know what that's going to do? It's going to give me the strength to do what I need to do in every walk of my life, and that is to have self-control. Yeah, every aspect of your life. My mother could probably tell stories about this. Well, I know she could. Glad she doesn't. I had a big mouth as a kid growing up. And sometimes my sisters, I remember Bobby would come to me and just almost, almost in tears saying, please don't do it. Please keep your mouth shut. I had a big mouth. Got in trouble a lot because of it. You know what I needed to do? I needed to have something called self-control, which literally means hold myself in. Okay? That's every aspect of our life. We all need that. We need to have the ability to hold ourselves in. So you got moral excellence based on proper knowledge. going to give me the strength and the ability to hold myself in, which leads to perseverance, which, by the way, is not passive acquiescence. It is the endurance. It is the patience to do what's right. That's what that means. Pretty good stuff. Hey, by the way. I always get asked, give me some practical things that I can do. Okay, this, this is as practical as it gets. We want to talk about Jesus Christ being formed in us. This is as practical, practical as it gets. I'm going to be able to have that kind of endurance. It's going to be based on what? It's going to lead to something that I have to have in my life, and that's godliness. And godliness is not your personal goodness. Godliness is reverence, 
which is a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. Look at this. This is great, great stuff. Moral excellence based on proper knowledge going to give me the ability to hold myself in, keep my big mouth shut. I'm going to have the, the perseverance to endure no matter what comes my way. It's going to be based on the proper reverence of God. I'm going to have an awareness of God in every aspect of my life. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to demonstrate that way in brotherly affection. Which leads to love, agape love, sacrificial, selfless love. Okay? Let me just show you one more thing about this, though. This is not a one-way street. It doesn't mean this. This is not a one-time achievement. This is a cycle. It starts here, add to your faith virtue, but it doesn't end when you get down to the bottom. Watch how it works in the other direction. If I have the proper self-sacrificing love in my life, you know what it's going to do? It's going to demonstrate that in brotherly kindness. It's going to be based upon what? My reverence for God. My godliness. Reverence for God. Which is going to be able to do what? Give me the strength to endure what's right. And then you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to be able to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to be able to hold myself in. All based on what? Proper knowledge, which leads to moral excellence. It goes the other way, too. It goes the other way, too. But when we develop these graces, we are fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. So we can actually come to a knowledge of the Son, not necessarily or only with academic knowledge, but personal knowledge through character development. That's when the Lord is real in your life. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you see? If Jesus Christ is going to be formed in us, we have to become like him. He is the epitome and the greatest example of all the graces I just said. So when we apply those in our life and they abound in our life, we're going to have a knowledge of our Lord based on all of these things, moral character development. These graces are best personified in Jesus Christ, and we become like him when we apply these in our life. You know, sometimes achieving these goals, these behavioral goals, is because it's not a one-time effort. Have you, ever, have you ever started something, and you were so enthused and so excited to start it, but something fizzed out, kind of fizzed out and went away? You ever made a New Year's resolution? You know what the number one New Year's resolution is in the United States of America? The number one, as the survey said, the number one New Year's resolution is I need to lose some weight. And really, whether you're talking about vanity pounds or you're talking about really needing to lose weight, that is the number one New Year's resolution. If you go to the gym on January 2nd, man, the place is packed. Packed. By February, well, it's thinning out a little. By March and April, it's a ghost town back in there. You know why? Because it takes work. It takes sustained effort. And it also takes the same thing when it comes to our spiritual growth. It requires diligent effort. 2 Peter 1, 5 and 10. It requires the sustained effort too. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, I love this, and do not be weary in well-doing. I'm going to tell you, if you expect life to be easy, 
and without hard times, you're sadly mistaken and you're destined for failure if that's what you're looking for because you're not going to find it. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The world will kick your teeth out. It's the way it is. The point being is this. If Jesus Christ is formed in me, it means that I'm like him. You know what I'm going to have? I'm going to have the energy. I'm going to have the perseverance. Why? Our own strength? Nope. Not us at all. It's the Lord. And by the way, when you have weakness and you submit to God, that's when God shows up. That's when God shows up. It's going to help you all the way. But you have to make the, your mind up to have a sustained effort. That you're not going to quit. We can't turn back. 2 Peter 2 and 20. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than from the beginning. We don't want to turn back. True spiritual growth demands renewal of your mind. And the only way you can do that is with the Word of God. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. And do not be conformed to this world. What did God say? God said, I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. So the flip side is, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So these are behavioral goals and they have to be sustained. This is not just a one-time achievement. It's a lifetime of effort, okay? And by the way, don't, get, don't, don't be afraid. Have no fear. That was point one. The next two go quickly. Okay? We're gonna, we, we, because I'll tell you why. When you talk about behavioral goals, we talk about that. If we don't have that, then nothing else works. We have to constantly focus on that every day or the other goals don't work. Let's talk about the other goals. Well, after we understand our behavioral goals and all of that, then we have what is known as functional goals. Now, the church is a body, obviously, and every single member is important. What I'm talking about when I talk about functional goals, this is what I'm saying. Everybody has an ability, and yes, I'm talking to you. Everybody has an ability and everybody has a function. What does the Bible say about that? In 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Now, what else? Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as we have been many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. One final verse along this line in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, everybody in the body has to grow for us to grow. You have to grow personally for us to grow congregationally. That's the third point in just a minute. What about the function? It's a matter of evaluating what your talents are and fulfilling a function. Some have the ability to stand up and teach 
Some have the ability to stand up and lead songs. And we're blessed here with all of you great song leaders that can do that. That's a function. Some of you do an outstanding job waiting on the table, leading a prayer. That's a function. What about this? How about somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of speaking ability, but they can go and visit people and encourage people? They're just the kind of person that have the personality that encourages people. Okay? That's a function. I know sisters in Christ that are servers. That's what they do. That's their personality. That's what they are. That's a function. Everybody has a function. So when you talk about functional goals, that's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about evaluating what our strengths are and finding a function in the body of Christ to fill it. I got to tell you, there's nothing that encourages me more as the evangelist working among you than when I hear that people are doing things for each other or I hear that something's being done behind the scenes and somebody's getting something done behind the scenes and I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to concern myself about it, but it's getting done, and you're being a part. And I'll tell you this, too. If you, as a member of the church, get involved, you will be strengthened by it because you'll, you'll feel part of what we're doing as a congregation. Functional goals. Whatever we have by way of our abilities, we have to serve and find a function. 1 Peter 4 and 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, when we fail to grow, we waste the abilities that God has given us. Now, i got to ask you a question. And obviously, you're not going to answer me out loud. And I don't, even want to, I don't even want you to tell me later on. But I want you to be very honest with yourself. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is this applying to you? Okay? Here we go. For though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I got to ask you, is that you? Now, you remember when I said in Galatians 4.19, I'm very encouraged because Paul, with the language that he's using, shows God allows time for growth, right? How much time, though? How much time? Have you been a member of the church for 10 years and you haven't grown at all? If that's the case, then you fall into this category. Talking about spiritual malnutrition. You still need the milk of the word. You haven't grown at all. We have too many malnourished Christians in the church today. The challenge of reaching our functional goals, though, first of all, is we have the challenge of determining our function. Everybody's got a function, and it's based on our ability. And doing so, we must consider the following. Let me ask you this. Consider these things. Consider these questions. Ask yourself, what are my strengths? What are they? Number two, do I really lack certain talents or do I have them? I just have to work harder to develop them. What about that? Am I really the one talent man or do I use that as an excuse not to grow? I've heard that, I've heard that in my life. I've heard people say, well, I'm just the one talent guy. I can't do much. 
Are you really the one talent guy or are you saying, wait a minute, I'm just using that as an excuse because I don't want to grow. I don't want to do more. What else? Is my lack of development due to indifference or laziness? Am I selling myself short through negative self-talk? Are these the reasons that I'm not growing? Is the world preoccupying all of my time and all of my energy, and therefore I don't grow? Now, sometimes, folks, the hardest thing we do, okay, the hardest thing we do is take an introspective view of ourself. It's easy to examine someone else. Paul said to Corinth, examine yourself. So all this is a matter of taking an introspective view of ourselves. Are we growing? If we're growing, fantastic, great. But if we're not growing, ask yourself these questions. Why is it? Why aren't I growing in Christ in my life? If we as the church, and I'm so glad that this congregation is not about this, but if, if the church or a congregation of the body of Christ is content with existing, there will come a time in the world that goes long enough that they will no longer exist. If existing is enough and good enough, there will come a time when they will no longer exist. So we must have behavioral goals and we must have functional goals. And thirdly and finally, we're going to wrap our remarks up really quickly, is congregational goals. And the reason that I spent more time on the first two is because if we don't change ourselves on the inside and transform ourselves on the inside, we will not fulfill the function that we can do in the church. And if we, don't, if we don't fulfill the function in the church, then the congregation cannot achieve or find its congregational goals. Individual growth is intertwined with church growth. In fact, the work of the church is threefold. Here it is. Edification, evangelism, and benevolence. Now, we know what benevolence is. Benevolence is the helping of your own, taking care of your own through benevolence. Not out there in the world, not with orphanages and all of that. I'm talking about church work, which is different than individual work. And by the way, incidentally, this comes up a lot, questions about this. What can the church do with its funds regarding benevolence? Now, can the church take its funds take out of the contribution, out of the treasury, and, do, and pay for things that are out in the world? No. Benevolence in the church is for the church. Now, guess what? Frank Brancato can, though. You can, too, individually help somebody out in the world or another cause. There's a difference. And we believe in benevolence. There's just difference between personal and congregational benevolence. All right. Evangelism, we understand that, too. But what about, edi what about edification? What about edification? By the way, on the back table... I have placed this morning a sheet of paper, and it's in and at the top it says it says um, sermon ideas or requests slash suggestions. And what I'd like is if there's members of the congregation, you might have a, a subject, a topic, uh, something that would strengthen you, something that would be beneficial. Write it down. I would also like this too. I would also like to meet with the teachers this next week sometime and talk about this moving forward, if not this week, the week after, but let's do that. 
And let's talk about specific ways that we can continue with edification. And why is it that I let the congregation write down topics? Why is that? I'm going to tell you. It's not good enough if I just think in my mind what everybody needs. If that's all I ever do, I'm going to miss something. When I go hold a meeting, you know what I want to do? I want to get the preacher that's working among them or a leader or an elder and say, hey, what do they need? How would I know? I don't live there. And then teach what's needed. Edification is about teaching what's needed. When we grow individually, we grow as the church too. Now, evangelistic goals. We want to grow in number. Okay? Now, the TV program, let's talk about that for just a minute. And I'm almost finished. Stay with me. The TV program has not brought in a whole lot of leads in number. But it's very important because it's my lead into them. It's my lead into them with a conversation. Okay? To get them on the Bible correspondence course or to call them. Right now, I have about 70 leads that were either personal leads that were passed on to me or TV leads that I'm working right now. So from an evangelistic standpoint, I'm working about 70 leads, okay? There's no greater lead, though, than a personal contact. Somebody that you know that I don't. So what do I need from you in evangelism? I need to take the gospel to the world. I need to do that in this community. What do I need from you? This is what I need from you. I need you to be there to strengthen those that we bring in. I need you to be there to make those that are invited feel welcome. That's what I need. I need that. I need you to do that. Invite them into your home. Let me tell you something. This is absolutely amazing. I'm not just talking about the church of Christ. I'm talking about Christian professing religions in the world today. They did a survey. Okay? When a person went there, the number one reason that they went, of all the reasons, they were invited. That's number one. Number two. What about those that stayed? Those that, that formed two friendships, the percentage was small, that stayed. Three friendships, four friendships, and the percentage went greater, it went up. Do you know when they, when they made seven relationships in that congregation of where they were from or where they went, 100% of them stayed faithful to that belief. Period. 100%. People need to feel connected. They need to feel a part of what we're doing. Finally, though, finally, if we desire to grow spiritually, then we need to strive for the following. We need to strive for Christianity being who we are, not just what we do with behavioral goals. We must strive with functional goals, too, to determine our strengths and fill a function. And then congregational goals. As I preach the gospel, we, I need you to help and encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them stay saved too. Very important. Finally, let me ask you this. Is Jesus Christ being formed in you in your life? Is he formed in you? Christ is not in you, though, if you're not in him. In Galatians 3.27... Paul says, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which means have clothed themselves with Christ. So please get this. Jesus Christ is not in you if you are not in him. And the only way to be in him is to be baptized for the remission of sins into his body. Now, there was a little boy one time, had a dad that was a preacher. 
And they were walking along a beach one day, and the little boy said to his dad, he said, Daddy, he said, I've always heard you say that you got to be in Christ. He said, but then yesterday I heard you say that Christ has to be in you. And, the, and he said, yeah, son, that's right. He said, well, how can it be possible for Christ to be in us and we in him at the same time? The father was walking along. He had an empty bottle. He had an empty water bottle. He took the cap off, and he went over to the water at the ocean there, and he submerged it and filled the bottle with water, and he pulled it up. And he said, there you go. The water's in the bottle. But he said, son, the water didn't get in the bottle until the bottle got in the water. And that's true. Jesus Christ doesn't get in you until you get in the water. And the water is the water of baptism. To rise to walk in newness of life and have your sins washed away and start your Christian walk until Christ be formed in you. It's a lifelong procedure. It's a lifelong effort. Are you here today and you're not a child of God? And you're not a Christian. You need to be one and you can today. Come believing in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess his name as the son of God. And be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Maybe you've taken those steps. Maybe your life is not what it should be. If you have public things to correct in your life, do that today. Repent of those things. Confess those things. And we'll pray with you and for you. And God will forgive. To be one of either class, come forward while we stand and while we sing.